Ah, it's good to be here. Guess what? Next week, Matt's preaching. How about that? It's exciting. But I tell you what, I am so glad to be here this morning to be able to share this message with you. I hope that you're as excited as I am. This morning, I want to start out with just a couple of questions. We're going to be looking at James 2, verses 14 through 26, if you want to start there um, in what it is that we're going to be looking at today. But I want to start out with a couple of questions. You know, the first question I want to say is this, is that is your sail set to catch the anticipated breeze from the Lord's answer to your prayer? I know you're going to think, well, that's kind of a weird question. What does that mean? We'll get to that in just a second. But are you ready to follow him wherever he calls you to do whatever he calls you to do? Are you working in preparation now with the Lord, keeping his promises to you that he has outlined in his word for you? Start out this morning with a story about a famous missionary. You may have heard of him, Hudson Taylor. He was born in 1832 in the UK and he died in 1905 in China. In between, he became a dedicated man of faith and prayer. And in 1853, even though he suffered through physical hardship and he faced difficult financial struggles in his own life, he had completed his studies in medicine and his faith moved him to action, and he became a missionary in China. In 1865, he founded the China Inland Mission, which is now known as OMF, which is also from the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. You may have heard of that mission organization. It's been around a long time. Here's one account of a story that happened to him on his way to China. As he was sailing, he was sailing on a voyage on a sailing ship back in those days, and it said, as it neared a channel between the Sea of the Malai Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, Hudson Taylor heard an urgent knock on his stateroom door, and he opened it, and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind, and we are drifting toward an island where the people are heathens, and I fear that they are cannibals. Taylor said, what can I do? And the captain said, well, I, I hear that you believe in God, and I want you to pray for wind. All right, captain, I will, but you must first set your sail. And the captain said, well, that's ridiculous. There's not even a breath of wind. Why would I need to set my sail? Besides, my sailors will think I'm crazy. But finally, because of his insistence, the captain agreed. Forty-five minutes later, he came down to Taylor, and he found him on his knees praying. And he said, you can stop praying now. We have more wind than we need. The life of Hudson Taylor, we see a couple of examples of faith moving him to good works, to action. First, we see Taylor moved in his heart for China, where millions of people were dying without knowing Christ as their Savior, and he couldn't bear that thought any longer. And he answered the call of the Lord and became a missionary. And then on his journey to China, when there was no wind and he was called to pray, he prayed. 
but he had the captain set to sail, knowing that the Lord would hear his prayer and answer it in a greater way than the captain could have even imagined. His faith in the Lord produced the action to have that sail engaged. It was his faith in his works, working in, in synergy, melding together, that brought his faith to completion. C.S. Lewis said this regarding the debate about faith and works and which is more important. It, he said it's like asking which blade of the scissors is more important than the other. This morning we're going to look at James' instruction regarding faith and works. We're going to be looking at James 2, 14 through 26. We'll see that this is really not a debate about which is more important. We will see clearly that from James that both faith and works work in conjunction with each other to bring the Christian life to completion. Like C.S. Lewis said, you cannot distinguish which is more important between faith and works any more than you can tell me which blade of the scissors is more important. Scissors are useless without both blades. Hudson Taylor would not have been an important missionary to, China, to the Chinese had he not put his faith into action. All of us need to come to some sort of understanding that one without the other will leave our faith incomplete before the Lord. We all need to set our sails in anticipation of the Lord's calling on our life and the answer to our prayers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just lift this day up to you, Lord. We lift this passage in James up to you, Lord. We just ask God that you would help us to have an understanding of the relationship between faith and works. That we would understand, Lord, that it's not one or the other. We know, Lord, that faith is what saves us. The works in and of themselves do not save us. But, Lord, help us to learn that works are an important part of our life. I ask, Lord, that you would speak through your word this morning, through my mouth, that it would be your words that we would hear and not mine. I praise you, Father, for James and the message that he gives us on this important topic and just ask for your blessing upon it in your name. Amen. So open your Bibles with me and we'll read James 2, 14 through 26 together. Starting in verse 14 in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works 
when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Well, the first thing that I want us to do before we actually even get into this passage is try and figure out this, this relationship between faith and works. You know, when we read Paul and we read James, there's been in the past people who have thought that there's a controversy about one versus the other, that Paul was talking about faith and James is talking about works and there might be a conflict between the two, but there isn't. And we'll see that here in a moment. If you turn to Genesis 12, keep your finger there in James and look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. And we'll read this as the Lord called Abraham to a very important thing. It says, starting in verse 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So when we read Paul, we can see that when he talks about Abraham, he talks about Abraham being justified by faith without works. And we see this looking at Romans 3.28 and then again in, in Romans 4.1 through 2. But first, you know, when he talks about justification, I want us to understand what justification actually means. But justification means that our faith in the works of Jesus Christ and the cross, that we put our faith in that, his shedding of his blood to take on the sins of people upon himself, that we are then moved and cleansed from our sins and are now in a state of grace before the Lord, grace being a gift that you and I do not deserve the gift of forgiveness and eternal life with the Lord. We are moved into a right relationship with God, thus becoming righteous or justified before him because of our faith in Christ's work. Paul says in Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then we skip ahead to Romans 4.1-2, and he says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. And then Paul also wrote this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So is there a contradiction between faith and works, where James says that faith and works are, without works, your faith is dead? No. Let's read on to Ephesians 2.10. He says, Paul says this, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should, we should walk in them. See, Paul was writing about Abraham being justified by his faith apart from the law, being before he was saved, before circumcision, before the law was even given. It was his faith to believe God at his word 
that saved him. And it was his action to move in the direction that God wanted him to go is what made his mission to God in action and completed his faith. It was not his works that saved him, but it was the works with his faith that completed him. James says that Abraham was justified by his works and his faith in 4.23, which we'll get there in a little bit, when James mentions Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. Now, after being saved and showing that works are an outcome, an outcome of a saving faith, after he believed God, he proved his belief by going, by taking that first step forward, by willing to trust and obey the Lord with his only son, Isaac. Martin Luther says this. He says, we do not become righteous by doing righteous deeds, but having been made righteous, we do righteous deeds. Obedience of the Lord is a righteous deed. Paul and James were talking about two different situations, but they were talking about the same thing. There is no contradiction. So now we see that there isn't a contradiction, which is very important for us to know. But what saves us, faith or works? Well, we know that our faith saves us, but we need both for completion. And as we move into our passage this morning, when we look at James 2, 14 through 26, we'll notice that that as a result of a faith without works, that we have an apathetic or dead faith. Let's look at the first three verses, 14 through 17. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James is telling us here that in verse 14 that a dead faith is an apathetic faith. It's dormant. It's lifeless. It's breathless. It's heartless. It's motionless. It's unresponsive, listless, comatose. He asks, can that kind of faith save you? Do you know what a dead faith can do? Meaning a spiritually dead person can do nothing except stink. It can reek. The dead body stinks. But it can do nothing on its own. In verse 16, James says, a dead apathetic faith blinds us from seeing even the most basic ways to help people in need. They're right in front of us. And we cannot turn a blind eye to those who need our help. Again, Luther said, true faith will, be, will no more fail to produce good works than the sun can cease to give light. In verses 15 and 16 in James 2, should strike us right in the heart if our faith, if our heart is actually beating for Christ. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
action to provide help for the basic needs of life should pour out of us like a fine wine pours out of a new wineskin. Like good water bursting out of a mountain spring, it should burst out of us. It should be as sweet and tasty as a fine wine. Do you know what the opposite of love is? I know a lot of us would say it's hate, but that's not it. It's apathy. Apathy is the most dangerous type of sin that we can have in the church, more so than hate. We can deal with hate. We can show love, but apathy is, I don't really care. You can show me whatever you want, but I just really could care less. And that is a hard attitude to overcome. That means that you have a zero response to the gospel. Is that a faith that can save a person? Is that a faith that can help the lost who are right in front of us, who are dying? Apathy in our faith means that we don't pray, we don't share our faith, we don't live a life that shows any difference in us to the rest of the world. Nobody would even know that we believe in God, in Christ. We may think it's okay to continue on drinking with our unbelieving friends, to tell dirty jokes, to cuss, to watch porn, to gossip, to run up debt on our credit cards, to cheat on our spouses, or not forgive those who hurt us. That we never even read our Bibles. We just don't care. We look and sound just like the world. But, you know, we said a prayer. And so that means we're good with God. We've punched our ticket to heaven, right? Check mark, we're saved now. So we roll on like nothing's changed. Our bodies are alive, but our spiritual heart stopped beating. Paul Washer of Hard Crime Ministries, another organization that sends missionaries and supports missionaries around the world, he said this. He said, we know that men are saved by repentance and faith. And whoever does call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But salvation is a supernatural work of God that will always produce fruit. And the evidence, not the cause, but the evidence of salvation is a changed life, a changing life. Wow. If that is you, and you're hanging on the fact that you said a prayer and now you're good, but you continue to live a life like you lived it before you became a Christian, friend, I worry about you. That's the wrong attitude. A saved life is a transformed life, a life that is being transformed into the image of Christ continually. Now, if you are a new Christian, I just want to say that your transformation is just beginning. And it can take some time. In fact, it takes a lifetime for a full trans transformation into Christ is made. But your life should start to see some changes now in how you view the Lord, how you view the world, how you pray. You should want to be with Christ. It should be a longing in your heart. James is telling us that a faith that is built on some magical prayer you said at one time without any life transformation, is dead. It's a corpse. It can't move. It can't breathe. There's no heartbeat. It's incapable of life. It can only stink.
In other words, your sail is not raised in anticipation. It is put away as you meander in the sea of life alone. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 says this about what a transformation in a person should look like. Put, them, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So that you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let's take a second, just a second, to define faith in works so that we know what we're talking about here. Faith means that we have conviction that the Lord exists and we know our place under him, that we are not on the throne, that he is, that he is our king and we are his servants. This kind of conviction is the kind that leads to a deep reverent fear of our Lord. These days we hear a lot about God being our buddy, Jesus being our pal, and we only bring him out in our, at our pleasure when we think we need him. And then we put him away like a genie in a lamp. And if we don't get our way, then we get all whiny and mad at him like a toddler when really it should be us that's fearing that we're disappointing him. This fear should bring us to a point of prayer with him all the time, seeking his wisdom and his grace and the strength to obey him. Because an obedient follower of the Lord loves Jesus with a relentless love of him that strives and continually pushes forward to please and obey him. Not because we have to, to gain his approval, because we already have his approval. But because we want to, because of what he has already done for us. The evidence of a truly transformed life for Jesus is a life that loves people. Even those that are hard to love. Those who we have to sacrifice for from our own wallets to help. Expecting nothing in return but giving freely out of our obedience to Jesus' call in our lives. That is a heavy faith. But what are these works that James is talking about? In this context, these works are deeds of righteousness. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, our worldview, our obedience to his commands in the Bible. <clears throat> Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We have to remember that all people were made in God's image. Even the ones we don't like. Even the ones who hurt us. What do you see 
when you go to Walmart, or Safeway, or McDonald's, or the gas station? What about when you walk down the street, as we've talked about even this morning before some of you got here, about a person who's pushing their gross grocery cart full of all of their belongings? Everything they own in the world is in that cart. Do you see the faces of the Lord's? His image in them? Walking around lost in sin, heading straight to hell? If you did, that should move you to pray for them and to share the message of hope with them. You would yearn to help them see the hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Because, honestly, not long ago, you were one of them. You were lost. And how did people look at you? And now how do they look at you? Will your fellow Christians see that you are a changed life that reflects the light of the Lord in you? Would the Lord see that change in you? Will those who need Jesus see that in you? See, this is what we're talking about. You represent the Lord wherever you go, and even in your home when you are alone. I don't know about you, but sometimes this makes me tremble a little bit. And I have to ask myself these same questions. And there are times I don't like the answers that I have to give. And it causes me to tremble and fear and pray to the Lord to forgive me and give me strength to represent Him everywhere I go. Because believe it or not, even pastors and preachers have a hard time loving everyone. There are people we probably don't love, if we're honest. And we need to repent from that. Let's look at the next two verses because James is really, I know this is a heavy sermon, but it's a heavy passage. We need to see that an indifferent faith without works blinds us to who God really is. James 18 and 19 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe and shudder in fear. What James is referring to here in verse 19 is what is known as the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, where uh, the Israelites are told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Believe means only to acknowledge the existence in something. Faith means to trust. And that always derives from God himself. It's his gift to us. It's a trust that drives us to a loving, obedient response to his commands. Setting your sail. Taking that first step forward. Without it, we, we cannot please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We see in this verse that action, an action need, is needed with our faith. An action to seek God coming out of belief in his existence. In verse 19 it says again that 
Even the demons believe that God is one. The demons even have a fear of God. But the difference between the demons and us as Christians is that our faith moves us to obey God's commands. The demons shudder. They shudder out of a great fear that they will be destroyed by the Lord. So what should our response be then as people? We can believe in anything. We can believe that the sky is blue, that tomorrow is Monday, that the Broncos will win their game today, maybe. But it is not faith. Faith has conviction. It has passion. It has commitment to God's mission in it. Works of righteousness for Christ. Again, Luther, I love Luther, as you can probably figure this out. He says, truly, if faith is there, the believer cannot hold back. You cannot hold back. You want to serve the Lord with all you have. As we move to our final section in the scriptures this morning, James gives us some examples that, of how we can move past our apathy that we have at times towards a useful, complete faith with works. We can see that overcoming indifference with a synergy of faith and works together. James 20 through 26, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness, as we looked at earlier. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And, it is this, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead... So also faith apart from works is dead. You see, there's a synergy between faith and works. And synergy means that the creation of the whole is greater than just the simple sum of its parts. In other words, faith with works is greater than any faith we think that we have without works. Faith without works is incomplete and apathetic and dead. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, Faith and work should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of men walking. First faith, then works, then faith again, and then works again until you can scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other. When we looked at the passage that uh, Zane read earlier in Genesis 22, we see that Abraham was called to take his only son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him because the Lord told him to. We see that, that because of this and that Abraham's willingness to do this and take that step up the mountain with his son, that he was found justified by his faith. His faith working with his works made him complete, as it says in verse 22. 
But this is why this is important for us to understand why James brought this particular passage up. Abraham trusted the Lord with his most prized possession, his son, Isaac. No one meant more to him than his son. The Lord knew that Isaac was the one that he promised Abraham in Genesis 12 and would be born to fulfill the covenant that he made that Abraham's offspring would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, that all nations would be blessed through Isaac. Abraham knew this, and when the Lord told him to take Isaac and walk up Mount Moriah and sacrifice his only son, he knew the Lord would provide the ram. So he put his faith into action, and he gathered his son in the wood and then walked up Mount Moriah with his son. He put his faith into action. He took that step. He set his sail in anticipation that the Lord would provide. The lesson for us is, do we trust the Lord with our most prized possessions? Our finances, our homes, our families, our spouses, our businesses, our ties. Would we follow Abraham and take that first step up the mountain if God asked us to sacrifice any one of those for him. Keep in mind that the Lord did not hesitate to sacrifice his only son for us on the cross. He didn't have Abraham sacrifice Isaac. He provided the ram. But the difference for God was he let his son, his only son, go to the cross. And all he asks is that we put our faith and trust in that. Would our action, mount, would our action match our faith? Would we show a faith that's alive? Or would our faith be like a corpse and we wouldn't care? He'd be dead and lifeless. In the same way in Joshua 2, he points out Rahab. She trusted a God she didn't even know. But she had heard about him and how he had saved Israel from the Egyptians. So she hid the spies when she fully believed that the Lord would save her when the time came. She had faith in the Lord's mercy and grace and acted upon it by hiding the spies from Israel, from their enemies. He trusted the Lord without even knowing him to save her when the time came. To save her by trusting someone would see that thin red cord dangling out of her window in the middle of a violent battle to save her. How unlikely would that be, do you think? Do we trust Jesus to save us? Do we reach out to that thin red cord that runs in the Bible the leads to the cross where our Savior died and bled for us so that we could be saved from the punishment of our sins that we deserved? As verse 22 tells us, the synergy of faith and works, the melding of those two important elements create completeness. Like when you weld something together, it takes heat and it takes the elements working together to make that perfect bead that bonds the material together. 
Faith without works is like a body without a soul, lifeless and dead. It reeks a wretched odor, worse than the smell of the feedlots on Highway 50. Can we overcome our indifferences and walk with God? How can we become a friend of God like Abraham was? First, we must have a relationship with God. And we know, as we've just talked about, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And all God asks for us to do is to believe in that, to put our faith and trust in that, in his work and not our own. And then to act upon the commands that he has given us in his word. But we get saved by our faith, that receiving of that hope from the cross into our lives. By putting our trust in him, taking that step, we must end our apathy. We must gain a passion for serving and obeying our Lord as we sit under him with a reverent fear. We cannot stand and wait for the next person to do what God has called each of us to do, to live holy lives, to share our faith and be a light in the darkness to see a person in need and give them what they need and not just wish them well. We must pray big prayers and set our sails anticipating God's answer to those prayers. We cannot sit idly by as our valley becomes even more apathetic than it already is. We must give generously back to him as he has given to us even more than we deserve. Because if we don't, then we are showing a faith that is apathetic. It's dead. And that plays right into the enemy who's waiting for the church to just lay down and die. Which we know that it never will. But these are not my words. These are James' words. He is the one who is calling us out. So you can be mad at me. That's okay. But I ask you to be more mad at James. And I ask you to look at your own life. If this is bothering you, then look in the mirror, as James says in chapter 1. Look in the mirror. See who you are. See who you are. But when you walk away from that mirror, don't forget what you look like. Don't forget who you are. <clears throat> we need to have a passionate faith that forces us to respond with urgency do you know that when Paul and James were on the earth, they were convinced, they were certain that Jesus' return would happen in their lifetime. And that gave them urgency. They planted churches. They shared their faith with anybody they came in contact with. They didn't care about whether they got sick. They didn't care about if they went to prison. And when they were in prison, they just witnessed to the, to the guards. They had an urgency in their life. They put their faith into action as we need to do here. If we don't, then we're just as apathetic as a dead person. So I ask you, would anyone even know by looking at you that you're a Christian, that you're a Christ follower? And I know these are hard things, and I'm not picking on you because remember I wrote this message with the Lord's help. And so every time when you do that, it's always you that's the first one who gets the finger in your own eye. So I have been having a look at my own life through this lens, and it's not been very easy. 
I've learned that I need to lead. I need to lead more passionately. I need, I need to preach with more strength and more urgency. And I must pray bigger prayers and be more expectant. I don't know how many times that I've prayed, but my sail is not set anticipating the Lord's answer. That needs to end today. We need all of you. We can't do this alone. I need you. You need me. We need each other. This is a team. We're on Team Jesus, if you will. But we need to put our faith into action. Today is the day that we need to do this. So I ask you again, what is your faith like? Is your faith melded with your deeds? Your deeds of righteousness? If you say it isn't, then you need to fix it. Get in the game. James is calling us, he's calling me to join him in the fight, to go with him, to take that step up the mountain, to set our sail. Come with us some Wednesday night to Fort Lyon and see what the Lord is doing there. We have folks here today, four folks, who we met in Fort Lyon that wouldn't have been here had we not taken that step that, the God had, that God had opened for us to go there. The Lord will open doors and do more amazing things than you think He will if we just were obedient to Him and took that first step. Hudson Taylor saw the need in China and his heart was broken and he went to work. He trusted the Lord and he put one foot in front of the other and he left the comforts that he knew to put his faith in action in a place he didn't even know. What breaks your heart enough to act in the same way? I challenge you, as James is challenging all of us, set your sail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for this message from James, Lord. We just pray, God, that we would not be apathetic in our faith, that we would be alive, that we would be moving. We would take our feet and put them in action. We would be in motion for you, Lord, that we would set our sail in anticipation that you will answer our prayers. Lord, that your mission will go forward and we want to be a participant in it. We do not want to watch the world go by. Father, you have called us to trust you and to take that step, to go to a place that you will show us where it is when we get there. That takes great faith. That takes a faith that also puts us to work. Father, I just pray, God, that today if someone here this morning is willing to do that but doesn't know you yet, doesn't know how to do that yet, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would come talk to me and we can help them, Lord, to see what having a faith in you is really like. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to see what it is that you do for us. Call us all, Lord. Call us all out to do your work. Give us all a mission, as you have, to go and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. And that you will be there with us even to the end of the age, Father. We praise you and thank you in your holy name. Amen.